we need to transition into a low-carbon economy or yeah. we need to transition from an institution that was set up 100 years ago into one that actually is fit for purpose today. Welcome to On The Edge, a podcast about making unexpected connections everywhere and anywhere. My name is Roland Howard, and in each episode, we talk with somebody who's making sense of our increasingly connected world. Today, I'm really pleased to welcome designer and Uber connector, Cassie Robinson. I've known her for over a decade, and I was keen to speak with her because she is literally connected to and on the edge of so many interesting people, programs, and organizations that it's almost impossible to list them all. But let me attempt to highlight just a few. She started out her career as a fashion designer, and fast forward to now, she is the head of digital grant making at the National Lottery Community Fund in the UK. As well as that, she's the founder of an amazing network of women called Point People, and in addition, she's a fellow of the UCL's Institute for Innovation and Public Purpose, to name but a few of her many affiliations. And lastly, she was, until recently, Strategic Design Director at the responsible technology think tank Dot Everyone, which she also mentions in this episode. I'm of course well aware that we all live in our own little connected communities, but nevertheless I'm struck by how many people that I've met who know Cassie or know of her and therefore I'm fascinated by what drives her to do what she does, often working in emerging or exploratory fields to try and apply new ways to design transitions. She literally seems to be almost everywhere, all of the time, which is both remarkable and slightly freaks me out at the same time. So when I met with her recently, I started out by asking her, as a prolific connector, what motivates her to do it, and practically, how does she manage it? I hope you enjoy. Thank you. I cover a lot of ground and I am often meeting people and my, I currently have someone that looks after my diary at the uh, National Lottery Community Fund and she laughs at how many like meetings I have, external meetings I have all the time. I think like on a really sort of practical level, some of the reason that I can do that mm. is that is actually because I don't have children. I know that maybe sounds like a weird or yeah. unrelated thing, but mm. nearly all my friends who yeah. have children are like permanently exhausted yeah. <laughs> for a period of time. Sure. And I feel like I have more space and energy sure. to maybe do the many, many meetings across many different sectors. I think I'm a bit like you in that I have many meetings. And you have three children. I do have three children. I I sometimes jokingly say I've got a very short attention span. So I, you know, I get energy from talking to lots of different people. And frankly, I get a bit bored if I'm sort of in the same company for more than an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, uh, do you have a, do you think you have a short attention span or you seem to build long lasting relationships? How do you balance the breadth of conversations and relationships that you've got with the depth that must be sacrificed to some degree? You've just made me realise, Raylan, that maybe what this is all about is me avoiding intimacy. Maybe I'm just moving from person to person, not really connecting deeply with anyone because I'm basically trying to avoid intimacy. Well, you know what? I I think that's part of my reason. So you can share whatever you like. But I find I like asking people questions, which is why I've started a podcast. 
but I don't really particularly like answering them. Hmm. I wanted to do this partly because it's always nice to see you, but partly because I've become more open to answering me answering questions mm. but only if I think they're going to be good ones yeah. um, and one of my friends said once which really make, made me laugh because I think I'm a very open person and they said but only if someone asks you the right question and I think there is something about that for me in, in terms of I don't like small talk it's yeah. probably some is it, it the right question or is it the right sort of intention I mean if somebody just asked you a brilliant question but they didn't care about you or care about the answer you wouldn't answer it would you yeah, that's true. It's um, probably both of those things. And may- maybe sometimes it's, it's, it's as much is the person really yeah. listening. The sort of question that will always mean I'll want to respond is if it's a question that has taken me by surprise mm. or really made me think. Or I like people being a bit courageous in their questioning and throwing in a I feel like you're throwing down the gauntlet to ask better questions (laughs) than the one I emailed you before. I'm not not doing that, actually. I think they're really good questions. Actually, I I don't think I've got a short attention span. Um, I think I've got a good attention span. I think I do really enjoy like sense making and pattern spotting. So mm. I think some of my going around, yeah. like hearing and listening to who's working on what or who's thinking about what or who's feeling what, or yeah. that's just, it is kind of like raw material to then use to pattern spot or weave together. And yeah. I, I get energy from that. Yeah, yeah. It's like a dopamine hit. I love being able to think about you know how if you hear people working on something similar or actually something that may not seem in any way related yeah i really enjoy then helping people imagine what Mm. they could do together that they may not have thought of and that kind of thing and is that just an innate skill that you've developed for whatever reason you are you or is that do you think that's a teachable thing that you could teach other people to do I don't I wouldn't want to be as arrogant to think it's something I can do that others can't. However, sometimes I get surprised that other people don't think like that or yeah. aren't doing that. I suppose there's there's something in how you can reimagine or how you listen that I think brings a particular quality to how you can like make sense of things or connect people or Mm. connect ideas together and that probably isn't something that everyone naturally does but I mean one thing that so I know stuff about you that I don't think we've ever spoken about in person so I know you shared quite a lot about your dad a few years ago you've shared bits and pieces about your sexuality for instance which I don't think we've really spoken much about though we um I'm trying to think well obviously lots of work related things but um and I, I admire that openness. I think you would describe yourself as an introvert. Is that right? Or possibly a shy person. I think you've possibly used those words with me before. So how do you balance that openness? So I think there's something about how by being just authentic, I think I recognize there's a real privilege in being able to be all of who you are and kind of show that if you want to. Mm. I'm really uncomfortable when I can't and I really don't want to have to sort of hide bits of me Um, and I I guess I kind of want people to just accept me as I am and I kind of feel quite unconditional about that you know like that's not really a compromise for me Mm. and I guess what that means in terms of introversion is it kind of helps people understand that I'm not that good at small talk Mm. so as an introvert my experience of of introversion Mm. 
I can't do small talk. I find it really hard to be chatty. And I do really get drained if I spend a lot of time in a lot of company and I need to sort of retreat and I love spending time on my own. And there's something about sort of putting it all out there that I think sort of maybe sets a tone for the type of conversation you are up for. And I don't find those as draining. I had a, a girlfriend a long time ago who was quite like me. She didn't say much and I don't say much. It was a terrible match because we just <laughs> said nothing. Whereas my, my wife, Juliet, is very chatty mm. at home. And I think that's a good balance. You know, she's chatty, I'm quiet. And actually the two complement each other. I'm always grateful and relieved when I'm hanging out with people that like to chat so that yeah. I don't have to. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I love listening. And it's especially great with um, like my sister for example who never stops talking yeah. and so if we ever have to go to like awkward family things or I can totally rely on her to do yeah. all the all the work and I can just <laughs> sit and be really quiet but yeah what's going on in your head that when other people are chatting away or your sister's chatting away at an awkward family gathering <laughs> are you actually engaged in what's going on are you paying attention or are you daydreaming and are you think, <laughs> thinking if I if I've disengaged from the immediate conversation yeah. I'll tend to be trying to sort of read more about what they're actually trying to say like what what's really going on with this person I'm a terrible sort of you know and will you ask them or will you just think that? depends who it is yeah. if, if I think that someone is talking to me on a really superficial level yeah is getting a bit painful or awkward and I think that it's appropriate I might say like isn't this really what you're trying to say yeah. or is this actually what you mean or yeah that sounds great please say that to me when you figure <laughs> out what my quirks are because i would appreciate that okay we might come back to intimacy but i just one okay. of the things that i know you're passionate about and experienced in and knowledgeable about with point people and other stuff is this whole thing of systems change which is feels deeply fashionable and yet quite unfathomable still what is systems change, Cassie? And, <laughs> and why do we need it? Well, as you say, because it's become very fashionable. Yeah. I've obviously now gone past that moment. Uh, oh, uh, I'm too late. Okay. <laughs> You're too late. Well, I always talk about designing systemically mm-hmm. rather than systems change. And I, what I mean by that is generally the mm. kind of challenges that we face are complex. They have root causes of which there are often multiple, and the nature of how we've solved problems and also how we think about the world, which is often siloed, individual, as if like a problem can be cut off from all the other things that it's related to and solved. That's kind of why I think we need... I think we, we have needed different approaches to try and address some of the issues that we face, and I think some of those very linear solution focus ways are like plaster sticking they're mm. not really dealing with the interrelated interconnected root cause of things so can you give an example the way that dot everyone designed their programs of work I think we're really thoughtful in recognising the different bits of the puzzle that Mm. needed to be addressed. So if you're trying to... So what was the puzzle that they were addressing? Making responsible technology the new normal. I guess really what that's about is if we're putting technology out into the world, how do we do so in a way that doesn't entrench power and inequalities and create unintended consequences and Mm. all of those things? Mm. I've become more interested in 
transitions so like transition design just this idea of like you know we're living in one system or one paradigm and you might call it capitalism I don't know it might be sort of dying or we might want it to start dying and there's an emerging alternative I'm interested in you know we need to transition into a low carbon economy or we need to transition from an institution that was set up a hundred years ago into one that actually is fit for purpose today there's all kinds of you know communities transitioning so how's transitioning different to changing in a way it doesn't really matter what you call that work is it Um, just because systems change has become fashionable that I've moved away yeah you're a Um, you're a pioneer I think it's just that the conversations about it yeah. aren't that interesting. Mm. What's the work out there in the world yeah. that needs doing yeah. and what is the best approach from which to do that? The only thing I do think is really important about the systems kind of work is I guess I'm someone that does have a real belief in the idea that we are all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what systems, a systems view yeah. of the world really tries to put it at the fore and I think that's a really useful lens that we need all to have on the world from Mm. a very young age because I think it it changes how you act and are in the world. I know you've got an interest in collective consciousness is something that I've experimented with you earlier this year around a little project on that and collective intelligence Nesta's doing a lot of work around that and, and other people as well I wonder what is the difference between like collective knowing and collective intelligence I feel like there's something different about collective wisdom because mm. I feel like wisdom is where you go to beyond knowing and beyond intelligence I think collective intelligence is a helpful way of trying to frame the space where humans and or living systems and machines will co-evolve together and that's That's kind of how i think about collective intelligence Mm. and then collective consciousness for me that's always this idea of what's there in the liminal space around us and between us in nature in our myths and in our subconscious and our unconscious that we have different ways of that we can access I'm a lifelong terrible meditator, or at least I've had a long-standing interest in meditation and generally beat myself up for not being as good at it as I'd like. But one thing I do know is when I try and meditate on my own, it's sometimes it's all right, but a lot of the time I'm just there in my thoughts and I give up or get frustrated or whatever. But when I'm meditating with a group of people, which I don't do very often, but when I do, it's utterly different, a totally different experience. Um, just this year, collective intelligence, collective consciousness seems to be fashionable or talked about but they they seem almost worlds apart in some ways as well and just how do you think of them as different well i think you described it very well i like the the co-evolving of technology and people for collective intelligence seems to be the way it's interpreted and but yeah collective consciousness is just yeah i guess far more kind of spiritual or something you know just getting beyond the self and plugging into the web of relationships Um, it's um i don't know if you remember Uh, ages ago me and Ellie Ford won that competition that was called Ideas for London and we got to stay in that little boat boat on top of the Royal Festival I was a bit jealous (laughs) that was with this idea called Londonscape which was based on you know the tree of souls in Avatar yeah and the the idea for Londonscape which I, I guess that links back to collective consciousness but it was how could you 
almost like reflect a mirror back on the city of London mm. about the things that we're doing together and the things that we mm. have in common or the things that the aggregate of our behaviours and our data can tell us about the whole rather than mm. the individual parts. And mm. I find that whatever you think of the film Avatar, I still find that the image of the tree of souls and the kind of scene yeah. where they're all sort of connected to one another through their fingertips and this kind of living, breathing, collective, really powerful image. So I'm curious, what's your relationship like with the future? And um, I'd love to know what you're kind of hopeful of, but perhaps fearful of as well, perhaps starting with the the, the positive. Where the future most manifests itself in my life is Mm. through my nieces, um, one of whom is nine and one of whom is five. And I see a lot of them and love being an aunt what's their future going to be and what have we created and left them with and I do kind of really like this idea of plural futures I don't Mm. think we can know what one future is going to be and I think there'll be many different ones but yeah I don't think I've I don't think I probably have thought enough about the future you know there's people doing work now that's trying to encourage people to think more long-term and to think about what it means to be a good ancestor. Like Ella Saltmarsh and B. Pembroke are doing the Long Time Project. And, you know, I think it is really important to think through what's the legacy we're leaving. But can I just challenge you on that? Because I would say you may not have thought about your own personal future, but I think through all the work that you do, it's quite future focused isn't it it's about trying to address challenges it's trying to solve problems make the world better is that not true yeah but maybe it's at the minute a lot of my work feels a bit more responsive like doing the work I do I'm always doing it because I have a hope that something can be better yeah and that's like one of the motivate like that's kind of one of the things that drives me Mm. I hope that we can change where power lies I hope that we can have a future where there's much less I I think it's really unrealistic to say there'll be no inequalities but Mm. I guess I'm hopeful that we can have a better future Mm. maybe it's just I don't use the word future okay what word do you use like where are we trying to get to or what does this look like or how will things be different you must have hope otherwise you wouldn't you wouldn't even bother right yeah, no, I definitely, I generally, even though people, I think sometimes think I'm really grumpy um, and I can... Some of my favourite people <laughs> are grumpy. I've been told I'm scary and I can be standoffish because that's my introversion. Um, I actually really have a lot of faith in people yeah. and a real belief in people mm. and always think the best of people yeah. until sort of proven otherwise and Mm. I think that kind of belief in people Mm. and I guess therefore in humanity is the thing that gives me hope Mm. but even with all the ingenuity and Mm. magic and problem solving and I I think we are entering into a time or we already are Mm. for lots of people not living in you know Blackheath (laughs) Um, we already are living in times of crisis Mm. and I do think we will there'll be sort of turbulence Mm. for quite a long time
you know, turbulence is usually a temporary thing in the flight that you buckle up for a period of time until it's over. Do you think it's a temporary turbulence or do you think that's a, a per- more permanent shift? I suppose I think there'll be a turbulence that might go on for like quite a few decades, yeah. not just a few minutes. Yeah. Um, and I think the state, it will have changed the state of things. I don't know if, if you've read, like Stephen Pinker did a book last year, Enlightenment Now, where he look, looked at infant mortality, literacy rates, kind of the global sustainability goals. And by virtually every metric in every country, our lives are quantitatively and qualitatively better than they were 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. And yet we still... I think we lack some perspective as well, perhaps historical perspective. I can't remember who was saying it, but... Oh, yes, I do. Uh, it was Mona Chalibi, Chalabi? Oh, that does the amazing data art. Yeah, because she was asked what era in history she would like to go back to. She just made the, the statement that, you know, uh, compared with all other eras of history, being a woman, especially a woman, a minority ethnic background, um, she wouldn't want to go back in any period of history, you know, right now notwithstanding all the, the problems and the challenges, is still the very best time to be alive. And that's true, I think, for statistically speaking, I think that is true. I don't think we see that or recognise that. I'm just curious why that is. I've, I recognise it in myself, a fatalism in myself. I mean, that's a good thing to be reminded of. I guess it would also be really odd to be going around saying, shut up, we don't need to worry about this or that. Like, we're all fine because we're much better than off than we were yeah. 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, so... You can acknowledge progress Mm. and alongside that there is, I do believe, the science around Mm. climate. But what do you make of Extinction Rebellion, say, this year and Greta Thunberg and how does that make you feel about climate? Um, Well, Greta Thunberg, I just think she's amazing Mm. and, I mean, thank goodness she arrived and has and is doing what she's doing Mm. I just I hope she's okay like I just think god what a huge amount that she is carrying I do feel like what she has mobilized and the energy she's created and the awareness she's created actually won't be put back in a bag you know I feel like it has unleashed something that will continue to grow Mm. and create change I'm I'm less sure about Extinction Rebellion I mean I think I think they have and will also influence people's perception and Mm. awareness I feel less sure about where that will go because I think Mm. there's still a lot of people that are also not convinced by Mm. the kind of campaigning work that someone like Extinction Rebellion are doing Extinction Rebellion is a is a movement with its own identity and brand, and <clears throat> obviously there's people behind it. But whereas Greta is a an incredibly impressive young woman, but we do seem to want to put people on pedestals, don't we, so, uh, to give us hope or to you know whatever it is. And and you said earlier about moving away from a less individualistic to a more kind of collective future. I just I just wondered when you said you weren't sure about Extinction Rebellion, was, was it because it, it wasn't sort of personified by a single angelic individual that that seemed um amazing whereas greta obviously is uh, you know uh, you know you can relate more to her because because she's a, an amazing young woman i suppose it just it feels like her story and and what she's done mm. i guess it, it's like she's come sort of from nowhere yeah. you couldn't have designed for a Greta to arrive and like mm. mobilize the climate crisis movement 
I suppose I'm, I find that more compelling rather than it's mm. just because she's in it. It's not because she's an individual. Mm. Individually, it's just like that's the kind of change. Mm. All these, all of us, including me, that are trying to do like designing change work. Yeah. I guess she she's a really good example of how often you can't design for those big yeah. change moments. And whereas Extinction Rebellion's model, I, th- I think the thing is for me that it's just. I've, I've got a lot of respect for what they're trying to do. I'm hoping to take my nieces there mm. when they're doing their sort of two week thing yeah. um, next week. It will need so much more than Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. And of course, it will also need so much more than yeah. Greta. But somehow I feel like she's already like mobilized yeah. so much more. Uh, yeah, I, I, my eyes are more on what will happen because of her. So even though you don't think about the future that much, are, are, are you... I'm quite confused. I'm quite like struck by the fact that I really couldn't answer that question. Yeah. Anyway. Well, well, maybe you've answered it already. But my the well, yeah. What are you What are you fearful about? I'm not really fearful. I think there's like eruptions, or like the turbulence will also have hmm. like eruptions, and I wonder how things will play out. So. I was feeling a real sadness and shame mm. last week about just all like my personal friends who've worked on climate for years mm. and it's not like I've been like twiddling my thumbs doing nothing but I haven't been someone that's been particularly focused on climate and recognizing or just like thinking god how must they feel now mm. and on the one hand of course be this is amazing mm. more people are starting to pay attention to this Mm. but there must be part of them that's like Hmm. i can't believe you know we've been saying this for years and you've literally not really paid any attention and i guess someone imi um rightly sort of called me out for that sort of by saying well think how indigenous communities must feel Mm. and Mm. so i i feel like there's this there's going to be this whole wave of that kind of feedback loop of people that have seen this coming are already experiencing this and have mm. been trying to have their voices heard yeah i just wonder what those repercussions will be mm. and then alongside that I, I guess i fear again i'm not sure if fear is quite the right word but i i worry about the what can sometimes feel quite urgent in terms of our need to act mm. um you know this one thing that does in a way unite all of us which mm. is the planet and climate and our need to yeah like work towards trying to address all the kind of crises that are going to mm. come our way because of what's happening in terms of climate alongside all of the healing that needs doing in the world mm. you know there's so much colonialism mm. and racism and land rights and mm. how indigenous communities have been tra- you know there's all this healing that i think is so important and needs to happen but will potentially slow down our action Mm. around climate and i think that's a really tricky kind of space Mm. and because in theory if we're thinking about climate justice those things will happen together you know we'll act around climate and like racial and social justice will be at the heart of how we do that but i think that's really tricky and that's where i feel like there's so many knots to that Mm. um and i think it's like one of the most important things and maybe i feel a bit fearful in that i don't know how to act in that i was about to ask you where where, where's where's your role in that so you've 
because I but I also feel something similar I mean I think it comes back to what you were saying earlier about kind of you know working systemically so doing the the healing and the reconciliation doing the policy work doing the technology innovation whatever it might be to tackle climate it all needs to happen at the same time yeah I guess there's a plurality that you can have in Mm. in in your work or in how you act this is something I've taught uh, a lot about with Rachel my old boss at everyone around like what's the role of like white women like she and I Mm. who are in positions of privilege although obviously we're trying to overturn the patriarchy alongside all these other things as well is our role to sort of get out the way or become hinges for young women of color for example like you know if we get all of the older white men out the way except you and you're not really older you're my age um but if we you know that if that's one thing that is incredibly dominant right now that i hope becomes less and less dominant maybe actually the leaders that we need Mm. which i would say are particularly women of color i wonder if you know i could say oh i could become a hinge which is by by that that, it's just like how do we offer allyship how do we give some of our resource to that Mm. how do we support younger women of color how do we champion them how do we but actually all of those things in some way are still making an assumption that they would want us to do that and actually maybe what they most want is for us to literally get out of the way and I think that's something that I'm thinking about and I think we're likely to sort of mess some of that up because we're human just the fact that you're talking about it shows that you're far more mindful and conscious of that. So that is a good thing. I also feel, you know, painfully aware of my privilege and what to do about that. I think the worst thing that any of us can do who are in positions of privilege is to become paralysed by it. Because I think it can be hard to know what to do. I've realised, because I was feeling a bit paralysed by it, and actually I need to be just prepared that I will probably fuck up sometimes Mm. I will maybe do something that where I'm not aware enough of my privilege one big thing I've taken from the last year where I've been talking to so many people and just trying to be a sponge and learn and is that kind of paralysis is just everywhere too many choices too many options too much data too much opportunity in some cases but that creates a sort of rabbit in the headlights kind of fear response or something uh, paralysis and what there's not too much of that just made me think when you were saying that mm. there's not too much care there's there'll never be too much care in mm. the world whether that's caring for each other or mm. caring for the planet or caring enough that you sometimes get it wrong forgiveness sometimes yeah and i feel like and actually like just having skin in the game i feel really privileged to be actively thinking about how i can have more skin in the game because Mm. as someone that doesn't have kids that doesn't really have any responsibilities or ties particularly that is quite comfortable at taking big risks i feel like i should be making more use of that for something much bigger than me and that, so that's probably one of the main questions that I'm asking. I, I, I would say I ask myself that all the time. When you say skin in the game, where, what does that look, feel like? I suppose it, there's a lot of comfort in my life. Mm. And I'm not saying comfort is a bad thing. I just, that's where I think, yeah, I have a relatively secure and stable existence. Mm. And therefore, it would be really easy for me, actually, to just settle into that and I guess I don't feel 
I don't want to do that. I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I don't think I should do that. And that's what I mean by having more skin in the game. So there we go. I hope you found my conversation with Cassie interesting and relevant to your own life and work. It's fascinating to me how Cassie talks so openly and honestly about what's important to her. I have huge respect for the value she creates, often with little or no direct benefit to herself. And if you accept the premise of this podcast, namely that we're all living on the edge of multiple possible futures, then perhaps we can all learn something from the way that Cassie spoke about the way we need to design transitions and strive towards more collective transformation. I hope you enjoyed listening to the sixth episode of On The Edge. So before we go, please can I ask that you rate, comment or subscribe and share it with others who you think might like it as well using the hashtag on the edge. This will encourage us to keep on making new connections and to find more interesting people to talk to and to share those conversations with you. This podcast was brought to you by Liminal, a collective intelligence network to address complex challenges in our connected world. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep on connecting people and ideas. If you do, you never know what might happen. Thank you and goodbye.